So after almost two years of, of saying, turn your Bible with me to the book of Luke, I can say today, turn with me in, in your Bible to the book of, uh, of Hosea. Um, so we're, we're going to be exploring um, section by section, verse by verse, a book from the Old Testament, Hosea. And, and as we get into it, there'll be more introduction to who Hosea is, what this book is about. Uh, but if you're looking for it in your, your Bible, uh, you'll, you'll notice that there are what, what scholars call the, the major prophets. Uh, those are at the beginning. And so you'll, you'll follow, uh, there's, you'll, you'll see Ezekiel. And then after Ezekiel, as you, as you keep going in your Bible, you'll see Daniel. And then right after Daniel is the book of Hosea. This is the first of the 12 minor prophets. Uh, these shorter prophets that um, there, so much of their ministry overlapped with the histories that you actually read about in First and Second Kings elsewhere in the Old Testament. And so if you don't have a, a Bible with you, though, you can turn our, the passage that I'll be reading is printed in your bulletin on page 7. Uh, for those of you watching online, you can also Google the passage if you want. Just Google Hosea chapter 1, and I'm sure it will come up and you can follow along there. And so I'm going to be reading Hosea chapter 1 and then the first verse of chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Berari, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I, will have, for, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, 
You are not my people. It shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. And they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we need you again to guide our conversation of this text. Lord, please open our our minds to understand our hearts, to to see the weight of what is here, to see the weight of the the judgment that is proclaimed, but also the the glory of the hope and the mercy that is is proclaimed. Lord, we thank you for the, the word of God, every part of it, and we pray that you would apply this to our benefit, um, to, for us to, to glorify you and enjoy you more. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so if you're someone who, who's taking notes, as, as we often do here, we're going to be just walking through this passage verse by verse, but, but we're going to do it in two sections. So the, the first thing we're going to do is look at just a, a general introduction to the book, and that's going to focus in verse 1, because there's a lot of information packed in there, which will help us begin to understand what this book is about as we explore it in the coming months. And then we're going to turn and look at the rest of the chapter, which really is an introduction as well, and it's an introduction to the two major themes of the book of Hosea, that we, we see judgment and hope. That's what the book comes back, Battle of Jericho. He's actually called Hoshua in Numbers chapter 13, verse 8. So it's another name for Joshua. And it's appropriate because the name means salvation. And as I said, this hope of salvation is one of the great themes of this book. It's also actually the same name of the final king of Israel, the northern tribe of Israel, before they fell to Assyria, as we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, so that's why he's identified by the name of his father, saying, right, this is the Hosea, the Hosea, final king of Israel. And so we see this man, Hosea. Though actually Hosea could have ministered for only about 35 years and still overlapped with their lives to one degree or another. But you'll see that these kings are divided into two groups. And that may be confusing unless you realize that at this point in Israel's history, uh, they were actually divided into two separate kingdoms. There was the, the northern tribe of Israel, the southern tribe of Israel. The southern tribe was called uh, Judah. And the, the northern kingdom was actually a collection of uh, many of the other tribes, of the 12 tribes. Um, and it was called Israel, sometimes called Ephraim. And there was always conflict and hostility between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But even though Hosea mentions actually more of the southern kings, he mentions four of them, and only one in the north, he was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And you'll see that as he was prophesying, um, he, was, he was ministering at a time of great significance and, and change for this northern kingdom. Uh, since the time of Jehu, who is mentioned, 
there had been a, a, a dynasty for several generations on the throne of Israel. And the, the current king mentioned as Jeroboam, uh, not Jeroboam the son of Nabat, but the, uh, Jeroboam the second, as he's called, had this long, prosperous reign. And so it was a time of great affluence, great prosperity for the northern tribe of Israel. It's when everyone thought everything was, was going great. Most of their great enemies on the national stage, international stage, had, had faded to obscurity. And so they said that it was good. But as Jeroboam died, suddenly it seemed like all of this prosperity began to crumble. There was political controversy. There was intrigue in Israel. They went through six kings in 30 years, uh, many of whom died through uh, unnatural means, through assassination. And then Assyria, which had been small for so long and, and struggling with its own internal strife, became powerful and started subduing lands coming out from the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley. And so suddenly there was this enormous threat on the international stage. And so they began to fear, are we going to be invaded by Assyria? Are we going to be taken over? And, and of course, that's, a, that's what happened, that, that God used this mighty kingdom of Assyria to crush northern Israel. And in 722 B.C., they were hauled off into exile. Their capital city of Samaria was destroyed. So that's the, the context that's being hinted at here in, in verse 1. But some of you might say, well, I didn't do very well on history in school. Or I don't like history. And so why are we going through this, this history of these ancient nations that lived almost 2,700 years ago? And the reason is that I think that there can be an analogy between what they were facing and what we see in our world today as well. That, that we said that it was a time of affluence, a time of prosperity, but also a time of growing immorality, of growing sin, of growing spiritual adultery against God. And I think that we can see that as a, something that is familiar, that there's an analogy to our world where we've come on the heels of a time of of great prosperity, great wealth, but also a time of growing sin, of, of growing, turning away adultery to our God. But then also, it, it was a time back in the 8th century BC when they were starting to, to face this prospect of threats on the international scene. Will, will this peace and prosperity continue forever. And of course, we don't know the future from our perspective, but, but I think also we tend to, to question, what is, what's the future going to hold for our lives, for, for the world? What's actually important? What should we focus on? And that's what Hosea is about. It's about calling people who become complacent back to what is actually most important. And it's about reminding us of judgment and hope. And that's the message that we desperately need in our world today as well. We need the, the message of judgment. We need the message of hope. Uh, because this is what the scriptures are about. And so that's our, our general introduction. But now let's turn to, to looking at how these two themes, judgment and hope, begin to unfold in the book of Hosea. It's, it's really the introduction that we'll draw from this material for the rest of the book. And look at the beginning of this theme of judgment in verse 2. 
it says that when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so you say, what is going on in these three verses, or these two verses, rather? And what we see here is, is a, something that happens in other prophets, if, if you read them, um, that this is what's, what scholars call a sign act. And if you were to look up the definition from biblical scholars of what a sign act is, it says they're nonverbal actions and objects intentionally employed by the prophets so that the message content was communicated through them to the audience. And so in other words, sometimes the prophets would put on plays, in a sense, to, and, and, and try to embody the message that they were proclaiming to make it more clear to the nation around them. So you can think of Isaiah, who actually prophesied at the same time as Hosea in the south, that Isaiah, at the word of the Lord, walked around naked and barefoot for three years as a sign of judgment. Again, not, a, not an easy thing to do, kind of a, almost a strange thing to do. I mean, imagine this, this prophet, Isaiah, walking around naked and barefoot. And, but then all along, people are saying, why is he doing this? And it's calling attention to spiritual reality, to the judgment that was, was coming. Or probably less dramatic, but, but Jeremiah, a prophet who prophesied in the south later after the time of Hosea and Isaiah, uh, wore a garment, and then he took it and he buried it in the mud for a time, and then he went back and he dug it up again and held it up and said, look, it's completely ruined, it's worthless, it's not good for anything now. And, and that, that was a sign of Israel being, being ruined and, and spotted by sin and saying, you know, now because of rebelling against God, it's, it's good for, for nothing. It's this sign act that is speaking and, and confirming, in a sense, the, the words that the prophet was speaking. But I think that, that the, the sign act of Hosea here in our text really takes the cake as probably the most difficult of them all. That God tells him to go take a wife of whoredom. And that word whoredom is repeated three times in the text. Some translations try to soften the word slightly, but in the original Hebrew, it's a, it's a word that's just about as shocking as it's translated here. And, and the fact it just hammers it three times in a row. And even as the one who, who reads this passage, I'll, I'll admit, that's an awkward thing to read in church. It's an awkward word to say in succession three times. But, it, but it's what God wants us to, to hear, that, that he wants to unsettle us. He wants to, to shock us. But as we consider this action, that, that it's Hosea who has to to marry this woman. Now, there's all kinds of speculation. There, there are a few who say, well, maybe he didn't actually marry anyone. Maybe it's more of a, a parable, but it didn't actually, it's not something he actually had to do. Uh, then there's the question of what was her identity when he married her? Did God actually command him to marry somebody who was already a prostitute? 
Um, well, I think that, that the, probably the best explanation that I saw was that when he's commanding him to marry this woman, that, that essentially God is prophesying what she would shortly become, that she would become this wife of, of whoredom, of unfaithfulness, of, of adultery. She may have been actually pure when he married her, but it's saying, no, I still, this is what she's going to become. This is what's deep in her heart. But, Hosea, I still want you to marry her. And the reason is, is because of the picture that it's, that it's painting, that, that just as Hosea was to marry this woman, knowing in advance, prophetically, that she would become unfaithful and commit adultery and break the covenant bond, so God married, covenanted himself to the nation of Israel. And he did it all along in his infinite foreknowledge, knowing that they would rebel against him, knowing that they would commit spiritual adultery, yet he still did it. He still married himself to this rebellious people. And so then you, you look at Hosea, hearing in advance what this woman would become, having to model the, the faithfulness of, of God, modeling the character of God by still marrying her, that, that this is an example of obedience. So, I mean, right there, if you think of application of this book, we can learn some, something from his obedience to the word of God, to, to take upon himself a ministry that wasn't just difficult because people didn't want to hear, but would be difficult in the most personal way for himself. And I think that, that many of us would have followed the, the pattern of Jonah, another prophet who ministered at the same time as, as Hosea, who hears the word of the Lord uh, and goes and runs away, doesn't want to follow what God is telling him to do. But Hosea is faithful, he obeys, he enters into this marriage knowing that she was going to be unfaithful, pointing to the ultimate faithfulness of God that as we will move into hope soon. But of course, the, the sign act of his life doesn't just end with his marriage, but it actually continues with his three children who are born, who also become signs of divine judgment in his own family. Uh, so look at, at verse 3 in your Bible. It says that he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliim, and and just the fact that her father's name shows that she's a real person, that this isn't just a, a parable. This is the actual biography of Hosea. It says that she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put it into the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And so this woman conceives from Hosea, and it says that she, when the child was born, God said, here's what you need to name the child. Name the child Jezreel. And you say, well, that doesn't sound too bad. Jezreel is a, a place in, in northern Israel. But then God interprets why that's the name that he receives, because Earlier, I had mentioned Jehu, who began this, this current house that was reigning in Israel with the King Jeroboam II. And he was commanded to essentially carry out the judgment of God on the house of Ahab. You'll remember 
Ahab, the, the wicked king uh, in, in the ministry of Elijah. Uh, this was the, the husband of Jezebel who big, tried to enthrone Baal worship in the house of in the people of Israel. And this, when this Jehu carried out the divine judgment against the house of Ahab, destroyed the whole lineage of Ahaz, of Ahaz. But he actually went a little bit too far. And his, his slaughter that was supposed to be judgment began to be something that he reveled in. He then ended up turning himself to the worship of idols. And, and so God is, is saying here that this, this bloodshed that was carried out in this place of Jezreel by Jehu would eventually come down into the whole house of his children, that this uh, reign, this dynasty would end, and that it wouldn't just end there, but this judgment would actually fall on the house of Israel. And if you, in the Hebrew, actually, Jezreel and Israel, um, they're very close. They sound almost identical. And so it's saying that, that this is the judgment that's going to fall on, not on, on Jezreel, but on Yisrael. And so then uh, you can see that this, this child, I mean, imagine this child then. He, he has this prophetic name. So whenever Hosea would introduce his child, he's saying, here's my child, Jezreel. And remember that God is going to judge our current king and that eventually our nation is going to be destroyed. That's a lot of weight for a child to bear, but it's the, the weight that was put on him here by the, by the word of the Lord. But then as the, the text continues, it says that after the birth of Jezreel, Gomer became pregnant again in verse 6. It says that she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. And so here you begin to, to see the unfaithfulness of, of Gomer in the text. Because for the birth of Jezreel, it, it was clear that this is a son that was born to Hosea. But the language here is that she conceived again and bore a daughter. And so she's, she's beginning her adulterous relationships. This isn't even the, the biological child of Hosea, presumably. And just as he had to give a prophetic name to his firstborn son, he gives a prophetic name to this daughter as well and calls her No Mercy. Uh, the, the Hebrew is Lo Ruchmah. And he says, call her No Mercy because the Lord will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. That the, po the point of mercy has ended and it will, it's only judgment. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. So even here in the section of judgment, uh, God can't help himself. He's, he's still proclaiming hope, uh, that there's hope for the southern tribe of Israel. But it's not going to come through human strength, through, through human uh, military power, but through the Lord himself. But then finally, Gomer conceives a third time, again, presumably through uh, adultery because there's there's no mention that this is Hosea's child. It says when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, "Call his name not my people, 
for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And that is even more a statement of judgment, even than what we've seen before, because that was the great promise to the people of God through Moses, that God himself would be their God and that they would be his people. That was this covenant with them. And and this is saying, no, that this name is going to point to a rupture of this covenant relationship. It's essentially covenantal divorce, that that you were mine, but you're no longer mine. I'm cutting off my ties to you because of your sin. And so again, we see these, these four individuals, Gomer, Jezreel, no mercy, not my people, and they all become these symbols of divine judgment. And I think that that's important for us to remember. As I said, it's not a comfortable thing. It's not something that we talk about, but we need the whole of the Bible. We need the book of Hosea because, yes, God is a God of love and mercy and faithfulness, but if we really read our Bibles that we see that God is also a God of judgment. He is a God who brought real judgment in space and time on the house of Jehu. He's a, he's a God who brought judgment in space and time on the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, ultimately on the southern kingdom as they went into captivity in Babylon. And so this is part of the character of God. And it's not just part of the character of God that we see in the Old Testament, but we're actually reminded of it in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in Romans 11 is talking about the the rejection of Israel. And he says to the Gentile believers, he says, Do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, talking about ethnic Israel, the covenant people of God, he says, Neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And so this idea of God being a God of judgment is held out even in the New Testament. And we need to remember it for ourselves. But that, thankfully, is not where the Bible ends. That's not the end of the story. Because even within this this verse first chapter, we see this transition from judgment, which is real, that reflects the, the holy, righteous character of God, to hope, to the, to the promise of the judgment being reversed and turned back by the mercy of God. Because look in your Bible at verse 10. It says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And so this is this this flashing light for an Israelite who knew their Old Testament. That this is saying, yes, judgment is coming. But remember the promise of God to Abraham. That his offspring would be like the stars of the heaven. That his offspring would be like the sands of the seashore that cannot be numbered. And he's saying that promise will be held true. That that God is faithful even though we are faithful. List. And that the, the faithful, faithlessness of God's people, the spiritual adultery, the sin that they had committed, will in fact be reversed. That, it, that there will be hope held out to them. 
And this is what we see as verse 10 continues. It says that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall anoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. And so here you see that, that even the names of the children being reversed prophetically by God. And as I reflected on this, it actually made me feel better. I've always felt so bad for these children receiving these, these names of, of judgment. But they actually receive both names, in a sense, simultaneously. So it's saying, you know, here's my son, Jezreel. Judgment is coming on the valley of Jezreel in the house of Israel. But at the same time, this is my son, Jezreel. And there's going to be a restoration of the house of Israel. So he's both a, a sign of judgment, but also of hope. And, and here's my, my daughter, no mercy, that, that God will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. But this is also my daughter, mercy, because eventually this will be turned back, that, that there will come a day of mercy on the house of Israel. And this is my other son, not my people, but this is holding out the hope that he will become my people, that the judgment will not get the last word. And I think that this is, this is such an incredible way to think about sin in our world, that, that we often think of sin as something impersonal. We say, well, I can just do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anyone. But in the judgment section, we saw the, the deeply personal nature of sin, that it's actually an affront to God, that it's spiritual adultery, that, that there are damages for our sin on a God who, who loves us as a husband loves his wife. But then we also see that, that our sin doesn't get the last word, that, that, that there is this hope of salvation, of restoration. And you'll see that how it comes in verse 11. It says that as there's this reunification of the people of God, north and south, that they will appoint for themselves one head. And I remember in, in seminary, I wrote a paper on this, and we had to read what's called a targum, which was an Aramaic paraphrase that came much later um, that may have actually been used in the synagogue at the time of Jesus. And they actually paraphrased this very directly of like, this is the Davidic Messiah that we're expecting, that eventually we're going to be reunited under one head who is the son of David. And it's made even more clear in chapter 2 as we'll, we'll see. So... It's saying that this, this hope, this restoration, this, this mercy that, that's being held out is going, to be, is going to come to the people of God under the leadership of this coming Messiah, prophesied as the, the offspring of David who would rule forever. And so in that light, when we see this in light of the work of Jesus, then we see ourselves, we are the unfaithful Gomer. That every time we sin, every time we do things our way rather than God's way, we're committing spiritual adultery, but we're restored, brought back through Jesus. And we, we see ourselves as, as Jezreel, as a sign of judgment. But then in Christ, it becomes a sign of hope that we are no mercy who receives mercy. And we even see in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul actually quotes our passage in Hosea, 9, or sorry, Hosea 1 in Romans chapter 9. 
where he's talking about God gathering a people for himself, a covenant people, a chosen people, Jew and Gentile. And he says that, that it's because those who are not my people shall be called my people. And most of us here are Gentiles, not part of the Jewish nation, and that, that we ourselves are not my people who have become my people, that we've been grafted into the covenant people of God to, to share in the promises of Abraham because of the love and the mercy of God, this judgment giving way to hope. And ultimately, the place where, where judgment and mercy come together, judgment and hope, is in the cross. As I, I was saying that each of these children were signs both of judgment and of hope. And that's ultimately what the cross of Christ is as well, that it's, it's a sign of judgment. That is the place where Christ bore the judgment of God in our place. But the cross then also is transformed into this sign of hope because it's saying, not my people will become my people, that, that no mercy will receive mercy because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And, and that's even what this meal is before us. This meal is a sign of judgment and hope, that we see judgment because Christ's body was broken, his blood was shed. But then it's, it's transformed before our eyes into a, a, a symbol also of hope, that it's the, 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 the drink of joy and of celebration, of promise, the, the bread of life that we eat together because of what Jesus did for us, judgment giving way to hope. Now, as we, we come to this meal, um, if you have never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus for salvation, uh, seeing yourself under the, the head that is being talked about here in our text, that we're thankful that you're here, but we encourage you to wait uh, to take this, this meal, that it would be spiritually damaging for you to take this without believing it would be a form of hypocrisy. Um, we ask the same for small children uh, who haven't made a profession of faith, that they also wait to take this meal so that they can understand what it's about before they celebrate it together and we celebrate their faith in, in the Lord as they come. But for the rest, you don't have to be a member of a, a Presbyterian church. You don't have to be a member of Hope Church, but one who has repented, trusted in Jesus, has made that public by being a member of a church that preaches the gospel, not blocked by another action of another church from, from taking this meal, but, but you come in reliance upon the mercy and the grace of God that is on offer.